Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with five-time All-Star and 2000 American League MVP Jason Giambi. Ricky Ball hit the deep right way back. Gian is going to watch it fly, and Giambi hits a grand slam. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. Today in the program, we've got a five-time All-Star and the MVP in 2000. One of my favorite guys to play against, Jason Giambi. Jason, welcome to the show. What's up, Booney? Thanks for having me, my man. Man, it's been, it's been a while. It's been a while. You're over it in has. Vegas. I'm, yeah. It's been a while uh, since I've seen you. Usually I've run into you somewhere in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, I'm in San Diego. We're close, but yet we're that far away. <laughs> I know, especially with everything going on, too. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's get into it. Let's talk about let's talk about you growing up. Growing up with Jeremy, what was that? What was oh. the Giambi house house like? It was all sports. My parents uh, had me when I was really young. They were both nineteen years old, and uh, Dad loved baseball and played junior college baseball at Mount Sac, and was a catcher and. Hurt his knee and kind of the rest is history. He kind of passed on that love to his kids. And, uh, you know, Jeremy played in the big leagues. My sister was a good athlete. My niece is at Long Beach State playing volleyball. So it kind of ran in the family. And, you know, 20 years later in the major leagues, here I am. You went to West Covina High. Uh, South Hills. South Hills High School. In oh, you went to South Hills. You grew up in West Covina. I, correct. Yep. Oh, okay. Okay. And I was I was doing a little research on you, Jace. You know, we know each other yeah. pretty well, but I but I had to dig in a little bit. And I and they're telling me you were a quarterback. Now I peg you, it wouldn't have surprised me if I would have seen it said Jason was a linebacker, he was this, he was that. I didn't peg <laughs> you as a quarterback. How good of a quarterback were you in high school? I could sling it. The only problem is when we were in high school, we ran the option and you've seen me run, so it wasn't real pretty. <laughs> 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 but I could throw the football. There's no doubt. So I, I would try to work down my third down so I could pass the football. No doubt. So in high school, was it always, was it always baseball? Is that the thing you knew you were going to pursue? Football was just yeah, something you, know, you did I, on the side. Yeah. I, I played football and I played basketball and, and, you know, back then everybody played every sport, you know, it's not like today where kids play travel ball year round or anything like that. So I played all the sports and, I mean, I loved them all. I just, you know, football, I didn't like the whole practice all week to play one game. And, you know, baseball was really my love. I, I really loved it. You know, I, I loved practicing it. I loved uh, going out on the weekends with my dad and my brother and, you know, throwing batting practice and hitting ball, you know, so the whole nine yards. So I, that was really my love for sure. And you come from a pretty prestigious high school. I think uh, Lytle went there. I think Wooten. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah. your, your your brother, um, kid by the name of Small. So it's pretty prestigious high school to come out of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we it was, uh, um, and it was a short period of time. Literally, from like my senior year to like my brother's freshman. I think we had like eight or nine guys play in the big leagues at one time or another. We also had Jerry Wallach who made it to AAA. We had a few guys that got close. So it, it really has generated a lot of, you know, great players that have come out in a short period of time. So you get to, uh, you finish high school, uh, 
your 43rd round draft pick, but you don't, draft, you don't sign. Obviously you end up going to long beach state. And did you play, yeah, did you I play for, go ahead. Did you play for, for got, snow? Yeah, I played for Dave Snow. I got a good story about Long Beach State. Wow, so, I almost played for Snow. He was at Loyola Marymount. We're probably two years different. I'm two years older than you. Uh, yeah. Man, on my recruiting trips, I love Dave Snow. And, and it came down to USC and Loyola, and, and I just didn't know what to pick. I ended up going to USC, but, you know, Snow went on to have – of just a hell of a college coaching career. He started it kind of, he, he became known at, at Loyola, but then he went over to Long Beach state and he, you guys were the dirt bags. Yeah. All right. Give me, give me the snow story. Yeah. Well, you know, he, he was with Augie Greedle Fullerton that kind of led all those guys that, you know, take off Horton and all those guys kind of were all under Augie at Cal state Fullerton. And so out of high school, I, I didn't have anywhere. So I had 40, third round up, I was probably going to go to Mount Sac. All of a sudden, uh, the guy who drafted me, uh, Bobby Crosby's dad, who, you know, played in the big leagues rookie of the year, his dad drafted me and told Dave Snow all about me. So I, I went and actually tried out. That's how I ended up at Long Beach Shades. I tried out for the team. They gave me like books and tuition. And I mean, he was the guy that really refined my skills at Long Beach State with Dave Snow. I mean, he he was so great at, like, the little things. He was so great at finding those diamonds in the rough and, you know, kind of transforming us into great baseball players. And it, and it served me well all the way through the big leagues. And how'd you like, uh, you know, I was reading up, and you were a goal panner. I was a goal panner. I was a goal panner after <laughs> yeah. my freshman year, which was 88. And I remember I'd never been to Alaska before. I show up, you got the host family, you got yeah. tinfoil on your windows because it's sunny all night. Tell me about your, your summer and your summer was just there two years later. You get the job yeah, at, I, at the field. I, oh yeah. You get the job at the field or you're the construction crew on the road, road crew. <laughs> I just remember the first day, all of those guys flew in. Of course, you know, you got to go out. It's Alaska. You got to go check it out. I just remember all being at the bar going like, oh, we got plenty of time. The sun's still out. And you look at your clock, you know, watching. It's like four o'clock in the morning. You got to be at the field the next day at seven. But I had a ball there. We had a great team and uh, it was fun. You know, I got a chance to, I mean, baseball's been amazing. I've got a chance to play in all different countries and states and everything else. So it's been a pretty amazing experience for sure. Yeah, it's very cool. I, I remember the only thing I didn't do is catch a fish. They they took me out, you know, because it's unbelievable salmon <laughs> fishing there. And I remember they took me yeah. down the one time I went fishing. There must have been a hundred people on the side of a little river, and everybody. So I I didn't catch one fish, but nevertheless, it was an interesting uh, educational experience going to Alaska <laughs> for that summer. And that's been back, you know, when we played in it. That Alaska League. You know, you either went to Cape Cod or the Alaska League. Nowadays, these kids have a lot more opportunity. But back then, those were the two main leagues. Yeah, I, I had a lot of fun there. Yeah, yeah, it, you're right. I mean, it was those were the two top. You either went to Cape Cod or you're right, Alaska for sure. All right, so we fast forward a little bit. We get to '92. Your second round pick of the Oakland A's, and uh, yep. you sign. You sign, obviously, and. Um, I want to talk. I want to talk about the A's a little bit. I've always been so intrigued with that organization, and it, and sure. it goes way back. They're kind of they're kind of the team that started that Saber metrics. Uh, you know, Billy 
Moneyball. You know, there was a movie made after it. I'll get to that in a little bit. But I just wanted to talk about your time in the minor league. What was the Oakland philosophy back there? or back then in the early 90s with you guys? Did did they start all the way back then with with the on-base percentage and work to count? Because you're famously known in your career. I mean, you were 399 career on base, and, and everybody knows, you know, Jason doesn't chase, and, and he'll take his walks. Was that drilled into at an early age? Is that what the minor leagues was for you in Oakland, or was that just, just you? Uh, I think it was a little – bit of growing up my dad you know was huge into baseball and and i don't know if you recall that ted williams chart of like all the balls set up of what your average you would hit you know that's what ted williams came out with if you hit a ball down the middle you're gonna hit 400 if you you know down and away you're gonna hit you know 200 so my dad kind of taught that to us at a young age so when he would throw us batting practice he would ask us okay where was that pitch at you know so Pitch recognition became a huge part of, of our game, my brother and I, when we were growing up. And then when you got to the Oakland organization, it wasn't at that time really pounded into you. It's kind of McGuire, I think, really set the tone at, at the big league level. You know, and then all of a sudden I got to the big league level. And right about that time, that's when walks really started to become important because they just saw the value of, you know, the three-run homer you know, they, they would rather have the guy that had a 390 on base percentage than the guy that hit 310 with the 330 on base percentage because they could, you know, more runs would score, more guys have opportunities. You're making the pitcher throw more pitches. And that's where kind of all that Saber metrics was born from Billy and Sandy, uh, you know, and all those guys that kind of figured out this routine like, wow, we can, we can win. You know, that's how, I mean, you see it today. The home run is valued way more than a guy that hits for a high average in today's game, for sure. Yeah, and that was back, you know, when Oakland first started doing it. That was that was kind of, the, they're kind of the pioneer, you know, before anybody yeah. else was. <clears throat> yeah, you're right. So you, get to, so you get to the big leagues, and, and at the time, you know, you end up being a first baseman for a lot of years. But at the time when you first get to the big leagues, you mentioned him earlier, Big Mac was a first baseman. And uh, he ended up moving on uh, in 1998. He ended up going over to, to the Cardinals. You took over at first base. And at that point, you know, you were kind of in, in the middle of that, uh, of those World Series champion teams, Oakland A's with the Eckersley and, and the Bash yeah. brothers. You were kind of in the middle of that. You know, Mac was still there, but Mac left. And that kind of put you at the forefront. And, and that was kind of Jason Giambi's team starting really in 1998. I was, I was looking over the numbers and I remember, you know, we played against each other for so long. But from yeah. 98 to 03, I mean, you, were, you weren't just elite. You were one of the best, you know, probably top five hitters in the game from a production standpoint. Uh, how were those years in Oakland for you? It always seemed, you know, playing against you when I was in Seattle, I just would look at you guys. It was almost like you were still at Long Beach State. You know, the rest of us, <laughs> we had we had Edgar and Ola Rood and I mean, yeah. tremendous guys. But it seemed like I'd look across the field at you guys and it was like you guys were a bunch of college kids having the having the time of your life. What were those years in Oakland that you remember? A lot of great players, uh, a lot of big personalities, but I remember it, it seemed like you were always having a lot of fun. Yeah, well, you know, when I first broke into the big leagues, you're right, I caught that, ta- like the kind of the tail end of 
Eckersley, McGuire, Steinbach, Dave Stewart, all those guys. And, of course, like Don Mattingly was still playing, Kirby Puckett, Dave Winfield. I mean, the list goes on and on. Guys, like, I idolize. I know that was, like, your time, you know, right kind of at, at the you know, middle of your career, Booney. But it was – I got to the big leagues and kind of Mac took me under his wing. And I got to – I mean, talk to all these guys. I just stood there like a puppy dog for like the first three years of my career. My learning curve got sped up so fast just because I had that opportunity to hang out, listen to great hitters talk. And, you know, because they were always talking to Mark and I just kind of kept my mouth shut and I listened. And as it kind of went on, like you said, those guys kind of left and I was kind of all over the field, played some third, left, DH. I would play first when Mark was hurt. And then, of course, in 98, like you say, he leaves to go to St. Louis. They sit me down and go, all right, it's your team. You know, you're, we're young. We're going to go young. And, you know, you can kind of visualize how you want to run it. So I just rem- I remember when I first got to the big league, they would make me ride on the media bus or in the toilet or grab beer for the veterans. I mean, I had so many jobs. It wasn't even funny because I was one of the younger guys on the team. But all of a sudden I found myself a young player with a bunch of other young players. So we kind of just created that uh you know frat house mentality like we're all going to get along or else i'm going to be the only guy on the, the veteran bus so we just had a lot of fun i mean we every night we would go to dinner together we would go out you know and then of course like you you start to mention the big three gets in there you know hudson Mulder, zito tejada chavez and before you know it this chemistry starts to happen where all these young kids are like wow it's fun to come to the field it's you know we're going to win. And we, we start really taking off. And like you said, you guys in Seattle were the guys we always wanted to compete against because you guys were that veteran squad, the junior yourself at second, Edgar and bone and, you know, all those guys doing around right field. And you guys kind of set that tone. And I just remember all, all of us trying to chase that, that we wanted to be that team, even though we were young, you guys set that tone. And I, and I just, you know, even to, to, from that time till today, I mean, that Oakland A's, you know, with, with being in the Coliseum and being that, that uh, small market team that doesn't, you know, doesn't just open the purse strings and, and pay whatever, what the other teams are paying. You look back over the last 20, 20 odd years, it, man, they go to the, they go to the postseason all the time and it seems like it's it's with a different group every time it's like they reinvent themselves they draft really well uh you know i i think that's you know, where it starts is with the yeah, draft go ahead yeah well it starts with the draft i mean that's open really puts a a, a huge emphasis on drafting and development because they figure you can you, you can have those players you know for six years of their career you know, and you're always, and they're always trying to find that group of like, I became the veteran player, but then you had Hudson, Mulder, Zito, Tejada. Then I leave, you know, they add one piece here like Damon or Isringhouse and, or somebody like that. And then they, then those guys become the veterans and then they start to add, you know, another young player. And, and that's how they kind of do it in Oakland. And they just have, have found this chemistry to win. And it's always had that chemistry where you, you're not, the Yankees or you're, you're not Boston and you kind of always have that little chip on your shoulder knowing like, Hey, we're a small market, but we can compete because we have a bunch of grinders. And that's what they really look for. They look, they look for a bunch of guys that can grind because you know how long the season is. It's a grind out there. And 
And over the long haul of the season, Billy has done such a great job of figuring out, you know, Dave Forrest and all those guys have done such a great job figuring out is to find that, you know, $5 million player, six, seven, eight, nine million dollar player, because you can kind of quantify that guy instead of a superstar. Because when you start to talk about pay a guy $20 million, what separates a 20 million player from another $20 million player? It, it's hard to start to find that difference in each guy, but you can really quantify those guys like, oh, he's a great defensive player. Oh, he takes a lot of walks. Oh, he has lots of power. Oh, he's great defensively. So they've really learned how to, to take that player and plug him into a system that, that really works. And it, it's amazing. I mean, they've, like you said, over the last 20 years, it's, it's amazing what they've really built for sure. And I, and I always often wonder, cause Billy's always been in Oakland and, and has never had that budget, you know? And I, I think about it all yeah. the time. If you took that organization and said, okay, we're going to double your budget. Uh, you know, we'll never know, I don't, but could you I take that you formula? And, I, I, don't, huh? I don't know if you could do it because I think it was, it's been tried. I mean, Dee Podesta went to the Dodgers, Grady Fuson went to Texas. All these guys that worked under Billy that were all part of the system of the drafting and development. And, and, and they kind of went to these other places and it just didn't quite work. Cause like I said, it's, it's really hard to quantify that high dollar player because how is he going to fit into that system? You know what I'm saying? That's, right. that's why I think they, they've really figured out like this guy's going to be a great clubhouse guy. He's right. going to play hard. And he's going to do this, and it just works. Where they kind of did these in these other teams, and it didn't quite work out the way they thought it would. I mean, obviously the Dodgers is not a dynasty now, and they've done a, you know an amazing job. And Texas found their way, you know. And uh, but I, I think the A's have it down to a science, man. They're amazing. And and I think you you made a good point because uh, there is an art to putting together a team. You know, everybody has a budget. Mm-hmm. But, but it's just because we're going to get a – let's say we're going to get a $10 million player. It does matter which $10 million player you do get for that team that fits correctly. You see what I'm saying? You can't just throw yeah. – uh, you can't just go buy talent. You've got to buy the right talent and the pieces that fit together. And the guys that can do that are the really good guys at reading the players they need. I mean, it, it's more complex and, and it, you know, this could be a, something we could talk about for hours, but it's really oh, interesting sure. to me. Some guys, some guys get it. Some guys don't get it. You can't just throw. Yeah. If you get overwhelming talent, if I just went in and said, Hey, I got a $500 million budget. Well, I, I'll guarantee I could put a winner. I'm going to get every superstar. We're going to put them out there, but that's not reality. I'm talking about working within a budget, getting the right high dollar players to mix with, you know, the rest of your budget. It's really a fascinating thing. And it's a, it's a talent to be able to do that. And when I see certain organizations that have no clue how to do it, then I see an organization that does it right. Uh, It's, it's not that it frustrates me, but it's like, how can you not see that he doesn't fit on that team? How could you possibly not see that being in your position? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, the problem is sometimes you get a lot of those high dollar players. Like, take for instance a couple of years. And I, I mean, obviously, when I was with the Yankees, I mean, we could mash. I mean, you had the best of the best. But then you start to look around, and go like Robinson Cano at the time was hitting ninth on our team. You know, because there just was nowhere for him to hit. You know, then you start to then you start to get those guys like who's going to move a runner over, who's going to bunt the guy over. You know, that's what you start to get with those high dollar players. Is most of those high dollar players don't know how to bunt. 
Or they don't, you know, they don't want to move the guy over. You know, they're like, I want to drive him in. You know, I get paid right. to drive him in. So that's, that's where, you know, and, and it's really come into play now is with that second wild card is now those things matter because one game or two games is a huge swing now with, with two wild cards now. Those little things matter. And that's why I say you can kind of quantify that guy, that $5 million player to 10, you know, under $10 million. You can go find that guy like, oh, he's great. He's going to hit behind the runner every time. He's going to move him over. And, and those are the things that win ball games. I mean, you've seen a booty. I mean, your, your family is a, you know, a generational. Uh, I mean, for a long time, the game really hasn't changed since your grandfather played it. You know what I'm saying? It's still like get the guy over, score more runs than the other team, and have a great bullpen. You know, I mean, bullpens have obviously changed, but have a great starting pitcher, and you can win a lot of games. I'll tell you what I learned when, when you talk about playing the game right. And, and you know, some teams in, in the modern day, you're right. It seems it's all about that. I want to drive them in. I want to do that. I learned, I learned probably in, in 2001, and uh, Edgar and myself became – real tight on the, on those Mariner teams. Mm-hmm. And I re, I remember, and I've told this story before. I remember it's was, it was like the sixth inning and, and uh, it was like a nine to two game runner on second, nobody out. And Edgar obviously got the runner over on purpose. I mean, he took a, he took a two seamer on his hands and he hit a one hop rocket to the second baseman. Mm-hmm. And he comes trotting back in. And I said, Poppy, what are you doing? He goes, I'm getting the runner over. I said, it's nine to two. Why don't you drive him in? He goes, Booney, I'll tell you this. And, and I'm doing his accent a little bit, but he says, I learned <laughs> you always play the game right. And in the long run, uh-huh. you're going to come out on, on top. And I never forgot that because I thought if Edgar can play the game that way, and I sure as hell can do it. And if I'm doing it, that 25th man on the roster is going to do it. That's how you create chemistry in a clubhouse. When you know that everybody's pulling on the same end of that, you know, end of that rope. I remember having a conversation with Johnny Olerud, you know, a pitching change or something. And, you know, that's my first base. And we're just sitting there chatting. He goes, Booney, you think I'm ever going to drive in another run again? You know, and he had been in like a week drought yeah. where he hadn't driven in a run. I said, Johnny, I don't know if you're gonna, you know, obviously I'm (laughs) kidding, but it just, that situation came up a few days later. Johnny was hitting behind me. I moved the runner over. He hit a can of corn fly ball, sack fly. All of a sudden, one of the best players on our team, John Olerud, even though it was very subtle in his brain, he thinks I can drive in another run. (laughs) And it's uh, in a 162 game schedule. Our psyches are so brittle at times, as you know, that little things oh. like that make a huge difference. And I was a true believer, and, and it was Edgar Martinez in, in 2001 that re- I remember him looking me square in the eye. He goes, that's how I was always taught. You play the game right no matter what. And if you do that in the long run, you'll come out on top. And yeah. I just, well, you know, what- and, and now when I see – uh, runner on second, no outs in a tight game. And I see the first pitch ripped off the tarp down the left field line. I, I want to pull my <laughs> hair out. I said, that is not moving the runner. You need a point right here. But uh, anyway. Yeah, you know. and, and those win games. But that's, that's what made the Yankees so great because you had Jeter in that two-hole that would do that so many times. I don't know how many times Jeter would do that for me. Sariano gets on first, steals second. 
he shoots one to right field for no, and I'm hitting first and third, or he moves the runner over. It is so, like you're saying, your psyche is so much better going, hey, all I got to do is put this ball in play, and I got an RBI, and I'm, I'm helping the team. I mean, that right. makes such a huge difference. You know, when you, and, and, and I think now you revert back to my Oakland days. That's what was so great about taking a walk because you, that was the thing that was plugged into us all the time. It's like, hey, when you take your walk, you're making the guy in front of you better and you're making the guy behind you better. Because the guy, the guy on the mound going, well, if I walk this guy or give up a hit, Jason's not going to chase. Now I'm going to have to have first and second. So now I got to go, you know, at that time with Randy Velarde or somebody else sitting in front of me going like, I can't put him on base because I know Jason will take a walk and now I'm pitching with first and second or he's going to get a hit or, you know, it just starts to put pressure on everybody when you start to create the game where, you know, all of a sudden now a guy makes a mistake, hanging slider. He's like, I don't want to give up that run at third. And then before you know it, it's in the seats. It, it, it just, those are the little things in the game that I think sometimes get lost that people forget. I know it's great to hit home runs and everything. And I hit a lot of them, but you're, you're right. That's what wins games. And that's what always made me the most proudest of being on teams like that, that were very unselfish for sure. All right. The movie Moneyball. Gotcha. I, I, I know one thing that's true about Moneyball and it has nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> I know, I know that Billy Bean was really pumped up that Brad Pitt was playing him. Other than that, sure. how, how realistic was that movie? Well, you, you remember I left, and that's how money – that's how they say Moneyball oh. created because they, they created uh, – Because uh, right, it was the 0-2 you know, season. Right. Yeah, Hatterberg and, you know, get somebody else, and that's how they were going to, you know, move. Like, well, Jason had homers and had walks and did this, and, and uh, you know, and, and that – it was an amazing, you know, story. But I, I remember always teasing Billy about it. That was his favorite part of the whole movie. Brad Pitt got the play. And, you know, he would say they look so much alike. I, I remember still to this day teasing Billy about it. But, um, yeah, you know, I mean, it, you know, it's definitely a movie, but the whole theory behind it is there, you know. I, I, you know, I don't – you know, you also – having the big three on the mound makes a huge difference. And all those little things that they did that let – I mean, obviously it's a movie, but all those things that led up to – how they had that run that really turned their season around, you know, was magical. That's, that's kind of what Moneyball is all about is that you lost all these great players. I, you know, I think at one time, you know, somebody had, had tried to piece together, like, you know, me leaving, Johnny leaving, Isringhausen leaving, Hudson Mulder, Zito, you know, ob- obviously Chavi stayed, but like the, the payroll would have been so high you know, off those teams, it would have been, you know, more than the Yankees, you know, of what guys were making. So it was just something that was special. And then they just carried it on through that they found this equation that works. And here they are still going, you know, still going to the playoffs all the time. And sometimes uh, you look up and go like, well, who are, who are these guys, these young kids? And, you know, Billy's, makes moves and they always seem to work out when he makes a big trade, you know, and he, he always implements that one or two big, you know, you have Frank Thomas go there. You have Piazza go there. He always, you know, plucks one guy that he can kind of fill in the gap that they think can fit. And and it works. Playing with your brother, Jeremy, how was that for you? Oh, it was like little league. I never had an opportunity 
to play, you know, with him on the same team because he was four years younger. And then I was, you know, the only time we would have had an opportunity was his freshman year and my senior year. But like we talked about earlier, our teams were so good. He, he couldn't make varsity, you know, as a freshman. So that was literally the first time that we, you know, we're on the same field together. And we, you know, we lived together, went to the park together. I mean, it, it was the best time of my life. There's, there's no doubt. And, and as you can see, there some of the two best years of my career as well. Him being on that team too. Yeah. 2000, you win the MVP. 2001, you have an MVP. 2001, you have the MV, you have another MVP season. Uh, yep. And after that year, you, you signed the big deal with the Yankees. A week ago, I had Tino Martinez, uh, on the mm. podcast and he, and I talked to Tino died. about yeah I talked to Tino about he goes yeah Booney and I went to to uh New York and I was replacing Don Mattingly and they were all over me and I said Jason's coming on the program next week I said and by the time Tino was done with his career in New York Tino had kind of become a legend in New York so now all of a sudden you're replacing Tino how was that going from sure. Oakland small small market team moneyball Type atmosphere to man, you're in the Bronx. You're at the biggest, yeah, maybe biggest sports franchise yeah, in the world. There. Yeah, and so I find that. I mean, it's definitely a lot, a lot different. There's no doubt. You know, you go from a small market team where there's, you know, just your, your media to media from all over the world. You know, there and it, it takes a little bit of getting used to. But like you said, Tino was so amazing. Like you know, I was a huge fan of Tino even before I got there you know, playing against him all those years. And, I mean, talk about a guy that had tough shoes to fill from Donnie, you know, who was a fan favorite. You know, and then Tino goes there and wins, what, four World Series. And, um, I mean, amazing, the career he had there. And for sure, like I said, you know, you don't replace guys like that. You just try to keep the tradition going, you know. And, you know, we had a lot of great teams there and, I, I had a great time there. I had fun. I, I mean, my dad's favorite player was Mickey Mantle uh, growing up. So, of course, we were huge fans of Mickey Mantle, and here I am in pinstripes. I mean, it definitely was a dream come true for sure. So, when we talked about off-air, I told you I was going to mention it. We get to the uh, we get to the 03 <laughs> playoffs, and, and the Seattle yep. Mariners, we, had, we won 93 or 94 games, and, and – uh, we didn't make the postseason. I get a call from Fox, and, and that's when they were trying out that third man in the booth. Uh, so I get to go. Uh, I get to go watch the Yankee Red Sox, and I, I'm going to get to see you know my little brother play. And in the meantime, yeah, you know I'm going to yeah. get to have some. I'm going to get to have some nice nice dinners in New York and Boston. And uh, I was always I had a knee problem from 2000 to the time I retired and there was this tape for all you out there listening to the boom podcast rather, there was this tape called Kinesio tape at the time. It was little, uh, wasn't known very well. Now it's a pretty, pretty well-known yeah, thing. Man. You see it on athletes all the time. So <laughs> I'm in the booth, I'm in my suit and I know Jason's having problems with his knee. So we're at Fenway yeah, I park. Messed it up. I messed it up that year. I had that knee surgery at the end of the year. So I'm, yeah, go ahead. Finish. Right. So I, this is how I remember the story. I remember you and I talking about it and I'm like, Hey, Jace, I got this tape. It's miracle tape. We'll, we'll tape you up. You'll be good to go in the game. I always tell the story that yeah, and I taped his knee and he hit two home runs that night, but it, it, it wasn't that night. It was the next night, but I remember yeah, coming in. Over. 
<laughs> I remember coming into the visiting clubhouse, the Yankee clubhouse. And now I think about it. It's funny. I come in in my suit just like, oh, yeah, I'm here, Jason. Let's get this thing taped. I'm in the Yankee clubhouse. Jason's on the on the table in the training room. These trainers are looking at me like they just saw a ghost. Like, what the yeah, hell's Gino, Boom doing Gino, in here? Gino, Gino, up our first yeah, baseman. Yeah, Gino and Stevie are looking. It's like, who the hell is this guy? Who'd you pull off the street? For sure. And of course, they're probably, you know, Steinbrenner's probably around going like, oh, my God, what is this guy doing? Yeah. And, and you sit there and go, this is how I tape. I remember the whole thing. And then you're looking at me like, what are you doing? Like, this guy's taping your knee? Like, who, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> I got to get up to Booth and call the game. But uh, that's one of my favorite stories. And, and like I said, I like to say, yeah, I remember Jambi in that series. Because you did. You hit two home runs one game. I said, yeah, and you hit the two home runs. But it was really the next night. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but well, they, they taped it up the same way. They taped it up the same the same way the next time. I hit two home runs. Yeah, for sure. That put us into the World Series for sure. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so we go to '04 now. Uh, you get um, ends up being a benign tumor, mm-hmm. and uh, and you finish your you, you're actually an all star that year. Don't have the numbers that we're used to seeing from Jason Giambi, but that puts us forward to '05. And you win comeback player of the year. Uh, how does that rank in your career? Oh, awesome. You know, I went through a lot of adversity, you know, through those times. And, uh, you know, it, it was special. There's no doubt. I mean, there's that, you know, come back and play and show you could play. And, and uh, you know, it was, it was an amazing award. I was very grateful for it. And, you know, grateful that I got the opportunity to, you know, win back a lot of fans and, and go from there. So, uh, yeah, it definitely ranks up there for sure. Last year in uh, pinstripes is, is 08. Shit. You had a hell of a year. Mm-hmm. You hit 30, you hit 32 homers drive in 96. Uh, and your, your contract's up. Matter of fact, you got the last base hit in old Yankee stadium. I, just, I love got, that. I, I still have my uniform and bat. I don't have the ball. Because nobody at the time, I think, was thinking of it, you know, because I think when I got that hit, it might have been like the seventh inning or something like that. So there's still a couple more innings to play. Um, and I, I, I remember, it was, I think it's a base hit to left field, you know, to this day. And I remember it, and I, I still have the uniform and, and everything, you know, because that was special, you know. Yankee Stadium was the mecca of, you know, sports for sure for all those years or what you know from the fans and the city and and everything so i i remember those were special times you know uh playing in that last season and uh and then you know it was a beautiful way to end it and to say that you got the last hit is pretty special so we go to oh nine you go back to oakland uh, and this the coming home thing didn't work out great for you but you end up playing another five years in the big leagues. You go to you uh, you go to Colorado, and you go mm-hmm. to Cleveland. And this and this, you know, when I was preparing for this, this really this really stands out about the player that I think Jason Giambi is. And you're in Cleveland, and Jim Tomey, one of the great guys of the game, is coming back for one game, and you got yep. his number. What happened? 
So, you know, during this time, there had been a lot of talk that they were going to put a statue of Jim, of course, you know, because he's phenomenal. Not only is he a phenomenal player, but he's, you can attest to this, Booney, one of the greatest people in the big leagues ever. Nicest, you know, great to play against, you know, great friend. I, I don't think you could say enough about the guy. So he comes back, and, and I remember I got 25, you know, uh, you know, because they were still having the jersey available, you know. And, you know, I think because maybe of my career I had the opportunity to wear it. So they said, would you want 25? And I'd say, sure. And, you know, I remember talking to Jim, and he loved it that I was wearing 25. And so he comes back, and they – I think it was my, yeah, my last year there in Cleveland. So they're, the statues coming through. So – during this whole time, they do the ceremony, and I'm thinking, you know, then they keep talking, well, we're going to retire the jersey after the season, after you get done wearing it. I think out of respect for me, because the Cleveland organization, I, I can't say enough. They're, they're unbelievable. T, uh, Tito, Francona there, and everybody in the front office. Uh, Cleveland was amazing. I, ha I had great times there, Colorado and Cleveland. Um, so I'm like, I look at him and say, listen, you, you have to retire the jersey today. You, you, you can't, I'm not going to wear it for the rest of the season. I mean, we're putting a statue of this guy in center field. Like, we can't, I can't wear this jersey. So as a big surprise, I walk out and I, I sign the jersey. I still have the photo of it. You know, Jim, it's such an honor to be the last person to wear this before it gets retired. And I, you know, sign it to him and, you know, at home plate, hand it to him. And, you know, I, I think everybody was shocked because they didn't think that was going to happen. But I mean, I, I can't say enough about the guy. You know, we're still great friends today, and uh, it was definitely a special moment for sure. So, go after the uh, 2014 season, you end up retiring, and uh, mm -hmm. all, all the years you play, you know, so your your career spans 20 years, and uh, yeah. from the time you came in as a kid to the time you walked away. It, what is the difference? What, what do you think about the game today? I've got, I've got my pros and cons. You know, I, I, I always talk about, you know, to people that ask, you know, what about the game today? I, I, I told myself I was never going to be that guy that's, that's uh, my era was the best. And these kids don't know what they're talking about. You know, I, I think there's a, there's a commonality in there that we can find. We can, we can blend the stuff that, that, we grew up with our generation, take the past generation, take the current, blend it all together. I think that's where you get your best baseball and that's where you learn the most, but just snapshot. What do you, what do you think about some of the things today, the launch angle and, and guys getting so techy with spin rates and, and exit velocity. We never heard of exit velocity when we were playing. Maybe you did at the end of your career, but I never heard about exit velocity. No, it, it really wasn't. That's it's more generation today, I, I would say, Booney. But you know, um, you know, I, I think it's the same concept of you know getting a good pitch and hitting it hard. I mean, it, it's the same. It's somebody just has labeled them now. You know, on all these things, and they found a way to market it or sell it or. You know, I always would say when they would ask me about launch angle, I'm like, well, launch angle works when the guy. So you know, tell Verlander or. You know, Randy Johnson throw it down the middle every time, and I can work on my launch angle. You know, I mean, it's it's hard. The game's super hard. I mean, it's really, it's it's. Uh, hold on a sec. Uh, it's really it's a it's a hard game, and I think 
that, you know, people have learned to market it. But, I, you know, there are so many amazing players in the game of baseball today. I, I enjoy watching it, you know, from the Trouts and the Lindors. To, like I said, I, 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 you know, had this span of playing against all these greats of the game, you know, from Junior, A-Rod, Jeter, you know, back to Kirby Puckett, to Winfield, to Donnie. You know, I got a chance to play with all these McGuire, all these very, I mean, the list goes on and on, you know, catch them all at the end of my career. You know, the Trouts are starting to come up and the Harpers and, you know, Lindor's playing now and these, all these great players that, you know, it, it, it always goes forward. It's amazing what these guys can do and they learn from the next generation. And um, I, I really enjoy like watching the game. I, you know, I enjoy going to spring training when I get a chance to see all these new generation of players. And cause it's always, it's always moving forward. You know, every generation has their pitching dominance or hitting dominance or, you know, all, all these great relievers, so the, the game definitely goes in these ebbs and flows, and it's just fun to, to watch how the, the game changes and what becomes important and, you know, what, what the emphasis is on, you know, homers or, you know, stealing bases, you know, because I remember later on in my career, you know, the Angels made such a great splash when they would first to thirds and play little ball and, and – then it became, you know, Dodgers hitting home runs and, you know, things like that. So it, it's fun to watch. Jason Giambi, one of the most beloved guys, uh, guys I ever played against and, and never met a teammate that didn't love you. You know, you were. I appreciate that. You're as beloved as anybody. You were a rock star. You're a home run hitter. But but you're just a you're a kind soul. You just had that about you, you know. Teammates loved you. Guys that played against you, we, we, we wanted to hate you. Cause we wanted to beat your ass, but we couldn't, we, we loved you, man. I, I know you'd sign autographs for days, you know, more than, more than the average guy. Uh, you'd be out there and, and, and you'd stay extra and you'd stay longer and longer. You know, people notice that about you. How do you want well, to be you. remembered? How do how do you want to be remembered by this game? I, I just want to be remembered. Like you said, I was just a kid that wanted to be a professional baseball player ever since he was old enough to want to be something. You know, I didn't want to be a police officer or a fireman. I wanted to be a baseball player and I got to live that dream for 20 years. I mean, I, I want to be remembered as a great teammate because I, I loved my teammates. They were like my brothers. And, you know, and I, and I loved being part of that fraternity of baseball players. I mean, it was something special to be a part of. And I, you know, I still hold it very dear today. You know, whenever I talk about the game, I love the game. And, you know, I, I think, I, like you said, I entered the game as a kid and I left it as a man. And, uh, you know, I'm passing it on to my son, you know, I have three little ones. So it took me a long time to grow up, but uh, here I am. So thank you for everything, Booney. I'm very grateful for you. Very cool, Jace. And what we do here at the end of the Boone podcast each and every time, the voice of the Boone podcast, Dan Levy comes in for a question from the fans. Dano? Brett, Jason, how are you guys? Best best voice in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you guys Don't get do. get him going. Please do. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. All right, Jason. This one comes from Allen in Berkeley, and he wants to know, okay. Jason, are you still a big pro wrestling fan like you were in Oakland? Uh, not as much as I used to be way back then. All, all those guys that I became really good friends with, 
you know, uh, Goldberg and, and everybody else, you know, I know Goldberg came back, but, uh, you know, we're all re- kind of retired and, you know, I watch it every now and then, but it's like go time with three young kids. Trust me. I don't have much time to watch TV anymore. As a father of a six-year-old, I totally understand that. Yeah. I got a nine, a seven and a three-year-old. So it's go time every day. Wow. Okay. That explains a lot then. <laughs> that explains no liking for wrestling anymore. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, Jason Giambi, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. I had a great time. Booting you the best. I love you, kid. Thanks, Jace. Mailbag. All right, Brett, you know that sound? It's time for the Brett Boone Mailbag. Ready to dig in? Let's do it. All right. All right, Brett, this one comes from Ron in San Francisco, and he wants to know, what is your favorite and least favorite city in the American League? Favorite city uh, for different reasons. Uh, I guess I'll take that as favorite city to, to visit. Uh, would be New York. I just love walking down the street, love the food, uh, love the fans, something about New York. I wouldn't want to live there, but I loved, uh, I love visiting as far as favorite place to play. Always Anaheim, Anaheim stadium. Just, man, I love that place. All right. And finally, this one comes from Joe in LA, Brett, do ball players really not read the newspaper or listen to sports radio? Without a doubt, we re- we definitely read the newspaper. And now it's different now. Uh, we we stay away from sports radio without a doubt. Usually that's for the, the wives or, or family members who are usually listening and getting pissed for you. But no, I, I would stay away from listening to any talk shows or anything like that. Uh, but I was definitely a newspaper guy. You know, usually it was the local paper. Or when I was playing, it was big USA Today. I want to get caught up on everything, you know, because back then we didn't have it, you know, instant, instant data at the, at our fingertips like we do today. So, you know, we, I I wanted to go through USA Today. I had to figure out who I was facing in six days when we go to New York, uh, what the rotations was going to be. So yeah, I was, the players were, were big time. That's the first thing most guys would do is get the paper and, and do whatever they do. Uh, But yeah, stay away from the talk radio shows. And if you're keeping score at home, that means Brett Boone played baseball before the internet was invented. All right, that's going to do it for the podcast. My name is Dan Levy, and I'm the technical director and producer and the voice of this here Boone podcast. The executive producer of the Boone podcast is Rich Herrera. Digital content all handled for the Boone podcast by good old Liz Landry. Please share the Boone podcast with neighbors and friends. And make sure you subscribe to the Boone Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, please give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boone Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Brett Boone Podcast, my name is Dan Levy. Thanks for listening. Do it again soon. See ya.